my cancer diagnosis at the age of 32, my mom and I talked a lot about the shock of that diagnosis. Given several doctors told us you're too young to have endometrial cancer. After much discussion, we began to feel driven to inform and help educate other young women about what symptoms they should be concerned. Having both been teachers, it seemed natural for us to look for a way to share Alex's cancer journey in order to help other young women avoid such a shocking diagnosis or possibly navigate a similar path. A podcast seemed the best way to get the word out, and that's how Down There Aware was born. Four years later, our mother-daughter duo has gone from educating and informing to advocacy and action with a fresh and sometimes very interesting and somewhat humorous multi-generational perspective. We look forward to sharing with you season four as we advocate, take action, and make it a priority to always be Down There Aware. Welcome back to another episode of Down There Aware. I'm Alex. And I'm Mary, Alex's mama. It's been a little bit since we've done that, so I thought it would be fun. Uh, thanks for joining us. We are into March 2023. Almost. Oh, yeah, we are. This will be released in March. Sometimes <laughs> yes. I have to think ahead, because yeah. we've been doing really good recording ahead of time and not at midnight the night before <laughs> we were going to launch at 9 a.m. Not that we ever did that. Mm. But yeah, so we are here, and if you are new joining us, thank you. We're so excited to to have you as a listener, and we hope that we can give you some entertainment, a little bit of knowledge, some confidence to be an advocate for yourself and for others. That's the most important. That is the most important thing. So uh, yeah, but in 10 days from now, a less than a week from when you're listening, we will be on a jet plane. Leaving on a jet plane. <laughs> yeah. Um, headed to Deutschland. Yeah. Going to Germany. So, um, quick, if you didn't know, my dad was born in Germany. He's a military brat. And um, he lived there for a few years. And we've always wanted to go back. And we planned this trip in 2020. And shout out to Herr Michael Simmons, who was my middle and high school German teacher, and also um, went to church with our family. <laughs> and he, was also your like foster dad for six months or something. Yeah, for me to finish my sophomore year after my parents moved to Alabama. Um, just an awesome couple, and uh, I fell in love with the German language just because he made it so much fun. And didn't he also make you speak German only in the house or like well, he, or something? Well, he tried um, to kind of immerse me, um, and I was not good. I <laughs> That's like me. I'll come in and say, uh, yesterday, <laughs> yesterday I brought mom and dad breakfast. Um, I had run an errand and I was out anyway, and so I walked in and I said... Ich brauche ein Frühstück, <laughs> which meant which I, meant I, I need, need breakfast. breakfast. <laughs> and they looked at me like, "What? Like you're coming over because you want us to cook for you? Like what's going on?" Aber du bringst yeah, Frühstück. Yeah, and I was like, "Oh, I said the wrong br word." Like, yeah. So it's hard learning, learning a language yeah. in your 30s. We're still learning. I wish I had kept up with it, but um, I did take some more in uh, college. Had 
had a great German teacher in college and cannot remember his name, um, but we had a great time. A lot of my friends took it too because they needed a language and we just decided to all take together and um, that was fun. We would tell jokes in German, in pseudo-German. <laughs> we were so bad and we would just make up words and that was kind of a fun thing to do. Yeah, so we needed, we're gonna be gone for two whole weeks and it really interferes with like four weeks of recording just because mm -hmm. of we're taking Sadie to hang out with my brother for those two weeks and then we get back in the middle of the week, like the day before an episode needs to come out. So we just said, what is like a series? that we can put together, record ahead of time, and still put out really great content every week because we did an experiment last year every other week and um, it was interesting. But every week is kind of our jam. So uh, we thought, let's look at world statistics. So we're gonna break the world up into pseudo regions um, that are typically kind of lumped together. Um, we are not geography professionals. I'm the worst. <laughs> we probably will say something wrong in terms of this country region. is in this region or whatever. So don't come for us about that. But um, we will do our best uh, to be as accurate as possible. Yeah, the real purpose is to compare um, data yeah. from different regions and we have found some interesting things. We have, and um, I'm glad you said the D word. So uh, we it, it. She's like, what did what did I say? <laughs> Go back in my mind. Data. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> um, because these episodes might be a little denser than some of our other episodes, but because we now have the YouTube channel and we're doing this on video, I'm going to do my best to add some graphics up on the screen as we're talking about them. So if there's a chart that we're talking about or something that we're um, you know, speaking to a region or a map or something, um, you can get a visual there. So if you heard that, there will be yeah. things. <laughs> if I cut it out, you'll never know. <laughs> the magic of editing. The magic of editing, trust. <laughs> me there's a lot that uh, gets edited out oh. um, but because these are gonna be kind of dense with data a little bit we'll try to make them less than need or as much as needed um, but we do have some terms that I think we should kind of go over because I had to look them up I did too um, and I took statistics in high school and in college and in grad school and um, still had to look some stuff up because I'm not immersed in it every day well, and I took statistics in grad school, and I hated it. And I'm I'm, I'm a weirdo that yeah, loved it. I'm just not a numbers person. Um, Alex is. She gets that from her father. Uh, I just, it, it kind of weighs me down. Numbers kind of weigh me down. I understand the importance of them. And in the next, in this series, the next several episodes, there are some frightening numbers really yeah that, and I think the thing to remember too is to not get bogged down by the actual numbers and the actual data points but to think holistically of trends or um, comparing you know this country to that mm -hmm. country and that region to this region um, in terms of you know all of the, the outcomes and, and stats like that 
So the first one that I, first term I came across and I was like, what is that? <laughs> was ASR or ASIR, um, and that's age standardized rate or age standardized incident rate. This is editing Alex popping in to say that I'm about to say something incorrect. So I wanted to cut that noise and bring you the real definition of ASR or ASIR, which is the age standardized incidence rate. So here that is. The age standardized incidence rate or ASIR is a weighted average based on a standard population of the number of new cases of cancer per 100,000 people in a five-year age group diagnosed during a year divided by the total number of people in that age group that year. Age standardized rates give the rate that would occur if the population of interest had the same age distribution as a given standard population. So when we talk about ASIR in terms of the world population, there is a world ASR rate um, and uh, algorithm, that's not the right word, but equation that scientists use and that's how they um, average it. So you are more comparing apples to apples when you're comparing like Zimbabwe to Russia um, because we know their populations are different. But if we standardize the population, then you can look and compare the two relatively equally. So uh, you're welcome for popping in and interrupting. But thank you for allowing us to be human, make mistakes and correct ourselves when we're wrong to the rest of the episode. And the ASR um, allows the comparison of the rates that are uh, arithmetic, arithmetically uh, adjusted to have the same age structure as the standard population. So it's just all about kind of making playing field even and making sure that age is not a factor in those comparisons. Um, so I thought that was interesting. Another term that I had not heard, so we've all heard the term GDP. Still, I see I'm a numbers person, but I'm not a finance person. So like I know what GDP is, but I don't get it. <laughs> but there's something else called HDI. Have you heard of this? I haven't heard of HDI. It's the huge, it's not uh, HDTV yeah. <laughs> uh -huh. or HDMI, um, but it's the human development index. And it was something that um, world leaders put together and said that measuring a country's wealth is not the only measure of the country. And so they are looking at the human component of those countries. And so, well, it, how smart. <laughs> I, I mean, mean, it makes perfect it sense. Makes, just Particularly like when you're looking at health and when yes. you're looking at cancer and you're looking at, um, you know, all those things. So, um, I was like, Duh. Duh. I but it's interesting. So it's a summary measure of average achievement in key dimensions of human development or they're living in huts or like, you know, at what point, what are the actual facts and uh, measurable things? So that's something. Um, and then the last one uh, was fun to Google because if you are on any form of social media, I think you've heard of this in a different uh, area, but ASMR, you know, that's the whole like, I'm whispering 
like <laughs> I'm making like noises, right? Like people do opening containers and things like that. But in statistics, hello Sadie, um, in statistics, it's an age specific mortality rate um, and it's just limited to a particular age group. So instead of saying our entire population, this is the mortality rate. Well, if you're looking at older people versus younger people, um, so that also much like our first uh, data point, the ASR or the ASIR, um, does the same thing. It just kind of averages out that age factor. So I thought that that was interesting. So those are some terms you might hear over the next few weeks. Um, all of this information we're gonna put on our website. Um, so there are links to um, all of our research. There will be definitions of things. So you'll see all of that um, if you go check out our show notes um, on the website. I'm trying to keep Sadie's tail from hitting the mic. <laughs> cord. Sadie, lay down. Lay down, please. Down. Sadie, down. She's like, no. Sadie, man, down. She's not the best listener. Down. Good girl. Good girl. Good girl. But do it for longer. <laughs> down. Down. And just for everybody wondering, she has been out, she has been fed, she's been given TREATs. But she wants attention. She wants attention. So... Um, we did talk that in a future episode that we might shake it up and record on my couch with Sadie sitting with us. I thought that would be a fun little <laughs> change. So, um, yeah, so those are the three terms, statistic type things that I thought we should be introduced to before we kind of dig into the numbers and the data and all of that. And I think we're going to talk in the beginning about some world statistics and yeah I think it's a kind of it's a good place to start and have you know holistically what we're looking at um, and I found happenstance a really great resource I think um, it's called the cancer atlas hmm. it's a website and a book um, and it was produced by three different agencies that came together so the American Cancer Society the International Agency for Research on Cancer and the Union for International Cancer Control um, and so their aim is to increase knowledge uh, and provide a reliable basis for evidence-based decision-making um, and to inspire united action and partnerships against the cancer epidemic. Hmm. And I will throw this out there. Alex and I did separate research. Mm -hmm. So most of what we're talking about today, we're each finding out for, you know, the first time, um, which that's kind of fun too. Uh, so we thought that would be a little more interesting than us just kind of reading yeah, statistics. Because then have we conversation. have reaction. So. Yeah. Um, so, where do you want to start, Mama? Well, I, um, as far as world statistics, I don't have a lot. Um, I really concentrated on endometrial cancer for obvious reasons. Um, what could that obviously <laughs> be? Just kidding. And so the only thing I really will start with is uh, uh, some data about endometrial cancer. Um, it was interesting to me that endometrial cancer is the sixth most commonly occurring cancer in women and the 15th most common cancer overall. I mean, um, 
sixth most common in women. Yeah, that's interesting because it seems like, at least what we know about US statistics, that it has a pretty low incidence rate compared to other yeah. cancers. And in 2020, there were more than 417,000 new cases of endometrial cancer. Wow. Um, also, there's a table, and we'll put this up on the website, um, that gives some specifics. Poland had the highest rate of endometrial cancer in women in 2020, followed by Lithuania. So the highest rate, Poland was first, Lithuania was second, Samoa was third, Belarus was fourth, Jamaica fifth, Ukraine sixth, North Macedonia seventh, Bahamas eight, U.S. was ninth, that's the highest rate of endometrial cancer, the United States was ninth, and Trinidad and Tobago were tenth. Wow. I, you know, I think it's interesting when you start pulling out different countries because, you know, I think some people want to jump to, well, what's the healthcare like, right? Like, right. What, what's the, is it universal healthcare? Is there an insurance, pub, private insurance? Is there this is there that and um i think that's a part of it but i think there's so much more to it it really interests me what poland was first yeah it, yeah like why right well but the other part of that um chart is the the rates of endometrial cancer mortality mm. so when we go to that chart the bahamas was first now they were 8th in the, um, the rate of women get being diagnosed with mm -hmm. endometrial cancer, but they were first in mortality from endometrial cancer. Well, and this is very anecdotal, and a single person who was on the island for a few hours during a cruise, but I could see why, how um, it's an impoverished country. You know, if you don't leave the little port where your, your cruise um, docks up, if you don't venture into town like we did, you really don't see it. But it was, the roads were demolished, people were walking barefoot everywhere, and granted it's an island country, but um, you could definitely see the poverty around you. Well, and in looking at the rankings, many of, well, I'll just read them. Um, th this is the rate of endometrial cancer mortality in 2020. One was Bahamas, two Jamaica, three Trinidad and Tobago, four Samoa, five Montenegro, six Barbados, seven Cuba, eight Latvia, nine Georgia, and 10 Fiji. So really just... With the exception of Latvia, Montenegro, and Georgia, yeah. all the rest are island nations. Exactly, exactly. And the others are Eastern European nations, which we'll talk a little bit more about when we get there. Yeah, we'll have a whole episode about Europe. Um, huh, that's, I mean, it's fascinating. It is fascinating. Because, you know, you automatically think, well, access to healthcare in a small island nation, they may not have cancer centers and they may have to travel abroad to, you know, go get treatment. And what's interesting is we know that endometrial cancer is one of the slower growing, less deadly compared to other cancers, pretty treatable, 
pretty curable. Um, so yeah, that, that is fascinating. And what also might come into play is medical technology in regard to testing. Mm. Um, like if there are some strange symptoms, are they viewed as strange symptoms? And if so, what is the next step to do any kind of evaluation? And maybe that capability isn't there in the island nations. Well, and what we know from about this time last year, we were talking about the Conquering Cancer campaign that um, our friends in Australia are really spearheading with uh, the World Health Organization, um, is that it, there's a stigma around feminine cancers or feminine symptoms or even just getting tested or having a, a screening. Um, you know, it's seen as being dirty or inappropriate, mm -hmm. you know, to have a medical professional test and, and examine. Um, so I wonder if that is, because that was a different part of the world, I wonder if that was is similar in these island nations. Yeah, it could be. I mean, I think that's the thing with numbers and the data and that part of the um, information we get, we don't always get the why. And um, to me, I, I'm more interested in the why than the numbers. But I guess the why, you, you have questions about the numbers and that's why you want to know the why. Yeah, yeah. I mean, you kind of have to know the data in order to ask the right questions. Right and then determine the why. Hmm, that's fascinating. Yeah, I thought so too. Yeah, so my worldwide research, say that three times fast, <laughs> um, more focused just on holistic cancer um, issues and, and things. And I found this statistic really interesting. Considering both sexes, men and women, either female breast, prostate, or cervical cancer is the most commonly diagnosed cancer in over 70% of countries. Wow. Female breast, prostate, and cervical. Well, there are definitive tests for all of them. And I think that that's part of it, is yeah. that we, um, and you'll see later when we uh, dig a little bit deeper, that testing, the prevalence of testing really changes the game. Yeah. Um, and so it might look like rates increased dramatically over time, mm. but really, did the rate increase or did our awareness of it increase just because, because of, of the, the test. test results? Yeah, and I think um, maybe that's kind of my, <laughs> my kind of negative about data because so there are so many variables um, like that that, like I think we said maybe even last week, um, figures don't lie, but liars do figure. Mm -hmm. and, you, you know, things can be twisted and maybe not even intentionally, right. but because of all those variables, the, the numbers aren't really accurate. Yeah. It's, you know, and it's hard to account for all of those variables. Yeah. I mean, and that's one of the things you learn in the scientific method, right? Is one variable as, but really can you whittle it down to just having one variable if on that scale, on a worldwide mm -hmm. scale? Um, but that's the first thing I thought when you named those three that, you know, we can test definitively right for all of those. Mm -hmm. And a lot of them have um, preventative screening exactly. processes, which is huge. Um, and, you know, you'll see that in these next few episodes that a trend is 
when cancer can be screened for, the um, mortality rate goes down and the incident rate goes up. Yeah. And, um, and which is expected mm -hmm. when you have that. Um, I also found it interesting that each year, more than 2 million women worldwide are diagnosed with either breast cancer or cervical cancer. Every year? 2 mm -hmm. million? 2 million every year worldwide. Wow. But where a woman lives largely determines whether she will be, uh, will she will develop one of the cancers um, if she has access to timely and effective diagnostic and treatment services and ultimately survive. So again, it really depends on where you live. Mm -hmm. If you're going to be able to get this, you know, are you having an annual mammogram? Are you having, or five years or whatever the new, you know, uh, standard is, are you having an annual pap smear? Is that something your country recommends or requires or, you know, it, it just depends. Or is there enough information out there that even if your country doesn't, um, require it you do you even know that's what you need to be doing right yeah because um, you know I think a lot of people myself included you trust the professionals in their profession and so like I don't take my car to the shop and tell them what's wrong with it <laughs> um, I actually did do that the last time because my dad diagnosed it and I took it in and I said yeah I think this is going on and he called me back and he's like well you were spot on <laughs> It's like, yeah, it's not me. But I, you know, I don't go to the doctor and say, I have blah, blah, blah. Like, you know, you tell he him does symptoms. I tell him my symptoms, tell him how I'm feeling, and then I trust that his book of knowledge then takes those symptoms and other things that he observes that I may not be able right. to tell him and puts it into a diagnosis or says we need to run these tests because I need more information to then give you a diagnosis. Um, and if doctors aren't recommending or um, you know telling people like, hey, you need to get this test done. You need to have a pap smear every year. You need to do this. Then they don't know. And they don't know what they don't know. And yeah. it's not their fault. So that's kind of frustrating. Yeah. <laughs> um, so this was interesting to me, kind of projecting. A lot of the projections now are looking at into 2040. So 17 years from now, but based on population growth and aging, the global cancer burden will grow to 29.4 million cases annually by the year 2040. And that's assuming that global rates of change, um, they use the global rate of change from 2018 to predict this. So if that remains unchanged, that's where we'll be in, in 2040. Well, and hopefully that will not remain unchanged. There is so much cancer research going on right now, and I you know, hear about, in fact, I just heard this morning, and we're gonna talk about this on another episode, but I heard some really encouraging um, information about some possible new cancer treatments. Um, so, Hopefully, there's going to be a breakthrough. We, we've come a long, long way in um, diagnosing, treating, curing even. So, um, hopefully, that's going to continue. Yeah. Especially with medical technology advancement. Well, and talk about medical technology. We have an episode in the works that um, we're going to interview some really, really cool people 
um, about their uh, medical technology um, devices and treatments and it just blows my mind. Like I'm not smart enough to understand all this information. Um, and literally like when I was on the, the initial call with the guy, like just my jaw was on the floor and I was like, what? What? That's so cool. So we're really pumped about that. Um, but this is a positive, you know, we've talked about a lot of doom and gloom. We're going to get 29.4 million cases per year and all these, you know, these terrible things. But did you know that the incidence rate of cervical cancer has decreased by more than 50% um, or more in many high income countries following the introduction of screening with the pap test in the 1960s. Yeah, that um, doesn't surprise me at all. And that is very encouraging. The, the pap smear has done wonders in um, people being diagnosed very early on, even before it turned to cancer. They called it pre-cancer mm -hmm. or they called it abnormal cells. Mm -hmm. um, and that's all due to the pap test. So that's a perfect example. It is. And again, calling back to our friends with the Concrete Cancer Campaign, um, that's their goal is yeah. to have, you know, all of these women in these low income countries have access to testing because if you can get tested and in addition to that, if you can, um, get the vaccine, you're really well off considering, you know, the previous rates in those yeah. countries. Those two things could do away with cervical cancer. Well, and that's their goal, the eradication of cervical yeah. cancer, which is just incredible. And they are still, um, you know, we uh, still, you can uh, still get tickets to watch the documentary if you want. They're only $5. Um, every penny of that goes back to the organization um, to help them with their mission of eradicating cervical cancer. So that is also on the website. And for all the cancer, we say, oh, this is so sad. Why can't we do anything? Why isn't there more research? I mean, for all the cancers where that happens and that's the conversation, this is not one of them. Cervical cancer is definitely in a, on a road to being eradicated. Yep. So, um, you know, overall, so that's our holistic world view. Um, but, you know, it's important prevention, um, screening, all of those things we see how that impacts statistics the most. And, you know, you can look at charts and uh, like we just said with cervical cancer in high income countries. Well, why is it in high income countries that that's different than low income countries? It's because there's access to those screenings and preventative care and knowledge about, you know, abnormal symptoms and things like that. Yeah. Um, that when you're worried about where your next meal is gonna come from or if the water you're drinking is clean, bleeding is not a concern bloating is not a concern right you have other things to worry about so um so that is definitely uh why that you know varies between countries and that goes back to um our focus on putting labeling on feminine hygiene products and we talked about that in another episode mm -hmm. and we'll be talking about that some more um just getting the word out there information for people yeah because you don't know what you don't know. Yeah. All right. So now we've covered our statistics lesson <laughs> and we've done our world stats. Um, let's jump into our first region, which interestingly enough, um, 
was a little hard to find some facts about, even though it's one of the largest populations in the world. Mm. So we're gonna start in Asia. Um, and again, all of these uh, links and things to stats and charts and whatever um, are gonna be on the website. Um, so did you know that China has the highest liver cancer incidence rate in the world? Wow, liver cancer. Yep, liver cancer. Um, again, I'm thinking, why? 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 <laughs> right. Well, they have some information as to why, um, but rates are now decreasing due to programs for prevention um, of aflatoxin exposure. And where does that come from? That's a really good question. Um, I don't know. Google. <laughs> I'm going to Google it, but also um, the familial transmission of hepatitis B. Ooh. So that um, was, you know, something that was happening, but they've seen it uh, decrease um, recently. Um, so maybe they're figuring that out. Mm-hmm. Uh, let's see, aflatoxin. Um, it's a family of toxins produced by certain fungi that are found on agricultural crops such as corn, peanuts, cottonseed, and tree nuts. Hmm. Um, so if you think about it, a lot of people in Asia are farmers. Yeah. We get a lot of our produce, you know, exported from China and other Asian countries. Um, and they just have a lot of farmland. I mean, Asia's huge. They have a ton of farmland. So, so maybe um, that toxin being in the soil can um, infiltrate the water system. Mm -hmm. And I mean, it has to be something far reaching like that. Right to have that statistic. Mm -hmm. What was it again? Um, Sorry, I didn't mean to put you on It's the okay, it's okay. Um, <clears throat> it just has the highest liver cancer incidence rate in the world. Um, but this probably, well, in 2020, in all of Asia, the top three cancers were lung, breast, and colorectal. Now, breast cancer, we've seen in almost all of my research, breast cancer is in the top one, two, yeah. three. It's, it's very high. Um, but in lung, I can see, again, I've been to China, and um, so I don't want to speak for all of Asia, but it's very condensed. The air is very polluted in general. So lung cancer doesn't really surprise me. They also have a really high rate of smoking. Yeah. A lot of people smoke um, there. So, but colorectal surprised me. Yeah. Um, it also surprises me that China has the highest rate of liver cancer in the world, yet in all of Asia, liver's not liver's even in, not the, top three. in the top three. Um, and you know, China's a chunk of Asia, so that is kind of surprising. Yeah, um, I'm so glad we did this. I, I know it's fascinating. Um, and so there was a, a wide geographic variation in cancer burden when compared with cancer figures from other continents. So comparing Asia to other uh, regions. So for example, prostate cancer was one of the top three cancers in North America and Oceania. So like Polynesia and that area, while it only ranked eighth in Asia. Hmm. So again, yeah. it makes me wonder, is that we test more? or there really is just a higher rate for whatever reason. Are certain people, certain groups of people, genetically predisposed to various cancers? 
you know, like we see in other diseases. Um, Ashkenazi Jewish people our predisposition to certain diseases. Um, we know African people with African descent are uh, predisposed to like sickle cell and things mm-hmm. like that. Um, so does that happen with cancer? I don't know. Well, and I wonder like with um, prostate cancer, I believe now we'd have to look this up to know for sure, but I believe that the likelihood of being diagnosed with prostate cancer is if you're older, an older male. Mm-hmm. Um, so the places where it's more prevalent, do those people have a longer life expectancy? Well, that's true. You know, that's another talk about the variables in the data. Right. We just don't know. Yeah. Um, this was interesting to me. In the past decade, there was a great regional difference. So in Asia, but regionally different. Um, in the cancer incidence trends um, across the whole region of Asia. So Korea and Japan had increasing incidence trends of cancer, while the Philippines, and they include Israel in this, um, had decreasing trends in both sexes. Of all cancers. Of all cancers, just overall. So, and um, they do think that, uh, well, So cancer in Korea increased from 1999 to 2018 by 27.5%. That's a lot. That's a lot. Quite a lot. And then in Japan, all cancers increased, now this is between 1985 and 2010, um, all cancers increased at that time. None of them went down in Japan. Mm. And think about Japan, lots of technology, high GDP, like that's, it's a high income country. It's, so it's not what we're talking about in those other island nations. So, um, so that kind of makes you wonder. Um, there was a reduction in cancer between Israeli Jews and the Philippines, though. So mm-hmm. while Korea and Japan had increasing rates, um, uh, Israeli Jews and the Philippines, um, they had decreasing rates. Which, again, it just, you know, it's yeah. kind of one of those things where you just look at it and you're like, I wonder why. Mm. Um, now, this was interesting to me. And... I don't, I'll just read it, let you know. So, overdiagnosis of some cancers, like thyroid cancer, could be one reason for the increasing trend of cancer, uh, especially in Korea. Now, when I hear the word overdiagnosis, it makes me think misdiagnosis, it was diagnosed, but we didn't, you know, it wasn't quite cancer, it was pre-cancer. Or we said this is what it was, but after testing it wasn't. It wasn't, yeah. But it goes on to say it was reported that due to improvement of diagnostic techniques and widespread implementation of screening programs, more thyroid lesions caused by asymptomatic and non-lethal thyroid diseases were increasingly detected in Korea. As a consequence, the incidence of thyroid cancer surged significantly by 15-fold Wow! during 1993 and 2011. So, again, is it that because we're doing all these tests and we're finding these non-lethal, non-cancerous masses or changes in thyroid that we're also finding cancer? Mm. Or are we calling these non-lethal changes and diagnoses in thyroid cancer? Are we including those? I don't know. Or... or were they included and then when it was definitively tested and found not to be cancer there wasn't a correction in right you know the original data mm-hmm. so again 
See, this is why numbers, I just... <laughs> it just brings up a lot more questions. Yes. Um, and finally, so kind of bringing it back to down there where, um, there was noticeably an increasing trend of cancer incidents among female and younger populations in Asia for the past 10 years. Mm. Um, rising trends may be mainly driven by the increasing incidence in breast, thyroid, and lung cancers. Um, specifically, breast cancer has increased among Asia-Pacific females aged 20 to 49 uh, between 2004 and 2013. Wow. Mm -hmm. 20 to 49. Right. Which is, I mean, and we talk about it all the time. We see people who are very young being diagnosed and their doctor said, oh, you couldn't be diagnosed. Mm -hmm. You were too young. Sounds familiar. Um, but it's happening all over the world. Yeah. Um, and also there was an increase in cancer incidence in J uh, Japanese females d from 1985 to 2010. And that was mostly breast and thyroid. Mm. So again, the thyroid might speak to all of the, these new testing programs that they have that right. they, you know, have really dug into thyroid testing. Um, but yeah, it, it really just kind of blows my mind when I think about it. Yeah. And, um, I think it also helps bring a commonality. Like we're all dealing with cancer. It's something that is universal. It's not something that is just us here. You know, everybody's dealing with it. And wouldn't it be great if all the great scientific minds could get together and change the world by finding cures? Yeah. Some groups are trying. And, and I do think that's happening um, in, it, to some measure anyway. I'm yeah. not sure exactly how much, but yeah. So that was a little bit about our world and uh, Asia specifically and kind of their cancer trends. Um, stay tuned for the next four weeks after this week. We will bring additional regions uh, to talk about their cancer st statistics. Um, and FYI, we're filming these all on the same day. So yes, we will be in the same clothes <laughs> and yes, Sadie will, be, Sadie in and will out. be in and out and it'll be fine. It'll be fine. We'll all live. So, uh, thanks for joining us today. We appreciate it. And again, all of the charts you saw and statistics and again, lots and lots of numbers. We'll put all of that on our website, all the links. If you really want to dig down into the studies, that's one of the cool things I will say. Um, information is so readily available yeah. and I mean like full published studies with all of their data, all of their methodology, everything, all of their results, just in PDF form, you can go find it. And, um, again, it takes some digging, it takes some time and you do have, I mean, I had multiple tabs open when I was doing all this research because it was, okay, this is the study, but what does this mean? And what is this term? And what is this, you know? Um, and then even I would look up like a map of, okay, well, what does this region look like? And so, um, you can do it if you want to, but we'll give you a little shortcut with all of the links that we yeah, need. Kind of the highlights. Yeah, exactly. So thanks for listening. Thanks for listening to this week's episode of Down There Aware. Be sure to like and subscribe on our new YouTube channel, as well as on your favorite podcast platform. You can find us at Down There Aware on all social media sites, Twitter, Pinterest, TikTok, Facebook, Instagram. If you have it, we're there at Down There Aware. You can learn more on our website, 
www.downthereaware.com and always get in touch with us downthereaware at gmail.com. See you next week.